Welcome to the Holiday Podcast, where we sit over some freshly baked challah bread every Friday afternoon. I'm your host, Tammy Priest, and it's great to be with you today as we take another look at the intersection of the old and the new. So, I don't know about you, but I'm still in a bit of shock that it's already December. I mean, this year has felt like the longest year ever, but at the same time, it's crazy to me that it's almost over. It's also crazy to me that it's almost Christmas. Um, the best thing, honestly, about Thanksgiving 2020, aside from the Zoom call with um, extended family, was decorating for Christmas. As the old song says, we need a little Christmas right this very minute. And I don't think that song has ever been more true, at least in my life. Um, and so we decorated. And we had fun talking about each ornament as we pulled them out of the boxes and hung them on the tree. And this year I lingered um, a little bit longer as I found a spot for each uh, set of Magi. Um, yes, I have many sets. One quick lap around my house makes it pretty evident that the Magi are my favorite players in the Christmas story, aside from Jesus, of course. Um, and the reason I love the Magi is that they're a powerful example of how God weaves everything together, um, good and bad, friends and strangers, friends and enemies, um, in his perfect way and in his perfect timing. So the Magi seem a little mysterious, right? Um, they just kind of show up in Matthew 2 and then disappear. Matthew doesn't give us any backstory about them. So that's what I want to do today. So you'll see why I love them so much. Um, so here's what uh, some of what Matthew does tell us in chapter two. Um, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, we could talk all day about the Magi and the symbolism of their gifts in particular, um, which is what my Advent devotional um, is all about. But like I said earlier, today I really want to talk about the Magi's backstory, which explains why these Gentiles would drop everything and lead a two-year trek across the desert from Persia um, to this tiny town in tiny Judea, um, loaded up with treasures. Um, now their backstory is in the Old Testament, which is probably why I have such affection for them. But before we come alongside the Magi, we first want to talk about the star. Um, this star, the Christmas star, didn't just show up unannounced or unexpectedly. God actually promised this star way back when the Israelites were um, still in the deserts, desert on the outskirts of the promised land. So I don't know if you remember Balaam. He was a Gentile soothsayer from um, Babylon near the Euphrates. So the king of the Moabites uh, saw the Israelites encamped at Jericho, making their way to the promised land, and it made him a bit nervous. So he summoned Balaam to curse Israel. Um, so this whole thing is a long story, but the part everyone remembers is the infamous episode of Balaam and his talking donkey. Sorry, we're very real here. My dog is sitting right under the table. Um, anyway, so, the part everyone remembers about Balaam is his talking donkey. 
um, which is really a humiliating turn of events for Balaam because he was supposed to be the seer, but he couldn't see the angel of the Lord in his path, but the donkey could, and it started talking. Uh, which kind of got Balaam's attention, obviously. Um, so as you can imagine, Balaam ends up not cursing Israel, but instead shared a prophecy from God. So I was gonna read just a part of what Balaam had proclaimed. Um, and remember, Israel at this point is just a band of uh, newly freed slaves wandering through the desert. Um, so here we are from the book of Numbers. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I love that. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and, um, and out of Jacob one shall have dominion. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. These verses about the rising star from Jacob have always been considered to be a prophecy about the Messiah among the Jewish people. And the Hebrew word kokhav literally does mean star. But there's a figurative meaning to this word also, and that figurative meaning is prince. Um, even according to both Jewish and Christian scholars, the messianic prince. So, in his infinite wisdom and kindness, um, God gave Balaam a prophecy that was both literal, the star, and figurative, the messianic prince. This real ball of fire was going to rise in the sky and it would announce the arrival of the Prince of Peace, the Messiah. So Balaam's oracle about the Messianic star from Jacob was recorded in God's word and it's repeated throughout the Old Testament during key points in Israel's history. But not only was Balaam's prophecy about the star recorded in God's word, but we read that Balaam went home to Babylon taking the prophecy back with him. Well, about a thousand years later, something else was taken back to Babylon, the Jews. Um, in 586 BC, God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to pillage the temple, completely destroy Jerusalem, and carry the Jews back to Babylon. Without question, uh, the exile was a painful, devastating period in time for God's people. And as often is the case, the exile actually was brought about by the disobedience of God's people. But even in the midst of pain, and even in the midst of punishment, God uses people who are dedicated to him to accomplish amazing things. In fact, it was during the exile that he made his famous promise recorded by Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So that future included the exile's ultimate return home to Israel, and that hope included the coming Messiah. And the Magi were actually wrapped up in all of that. So I don't know, um, I, I didn't know much about the Magi when I became a believer. Um, 
Okay, I knew nothing about the Magi except the Christmas Carol talking about We Three Kings of Orient are. So I started to study and this is what I found. The Magi were a tribe within the Medes, M-E-D-E-S, the Medes in Persia. Their tribe held special religious status among their people similar to the Levites in Israel. Um, they practiced medicine and were considered um, oriental scientists and royal astronomers, um, according to historians. So these royal astronomers from Persia saw a strange star. But how did they make a connection between this new star in the sky and a newborn king way over in little Israel? And why did they attach so much importance to this connection that they would travel nearly a thousand miles to greet him? So here's why. While Babylon was busy uh, conquering Israel, Persia turned around, um, they were conquering the Medes and folded them into the Persian Empire. Then Persia turned around and conquers Babylon. So now all these ancient powers and people were mixed together. The Persians, the Babylonians, the Jewish exiles, and the Medes, uh, the nation of the Magi. So the ancient Magi could now hear the prophecy about the Messianic star, the one Balaam had brought back all those years ago from ba to Babylon. But that's not all. Um, think of the powerful stories of God's people in this Middle Eastern mixing bowl. There's the drama of Esther, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, um, Daniel interpreting dreams, um, and the writing on the wall, and surviving the lion's den. And so our Magi's ancestors were right there, taking it all in. In fact, scripture tells us that Daniel himself became head of the Magi. So these people knew exactly who the God of Israel was because of everything they were seeing and hearing. And they learned from Daniel that when the Jewish Messiah finally did arrive, he wouldn't just be for Israel, but for all people, including them. So, when our first century uh, Magi in first century Persia saw that star, that literal ball of fire rising in Israel, Balaam's prophecy must have clicked in their minds, forming this um, constellation between all these prophecies and this new star. I don't think we can comprehend the excitement and anticipation and really disbelief they must have felt these long-awaited prophecies were unfolding in their lifetime before their very eyes. Um, and I know um, there are a multitude of theories you know, about this star that they saw, um, planets aligning, comets traveling through, supernovas exploding. Um, those are the most common theories. Um, but this star did things that ordinary stars and comets cannot do. It stopped and it started. It moved in different directions. If we look at Matthew's um, um, gospel, um, it guided, and according to Matthew, it hovered over a single house in Bethlehem. So this is no ordinary star. Instead, it was the same as the pillar of fire and the cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness to the promised land. This star was God's presence, guiding the way to his promised Messiah, the light of the world. So 
armed with their stargazing skill and great expectations, the Magi set off on their journey. And historians tell us that this pursuit of the star from Persia to Judea took about two years. Two years of trudging through the desert. We don't even know um, what their friends and family and colleagues thought. Um, did they think these Magi were nuts? For caring about an ancient rumor of a newborn king born in a tiny occupied country um, or were they just as excited and eager to find out about what all of this meant we don't get any of that detail from matthew but what we do get what we do get is what happened when the magi arrived When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The Greek word that Matthew used to describe their rejoicing is megas. Um, Not surprisingly, that's where we get our word mega. Now, megas is a big word. It means that something has great weight and mass, um, that it is large, that's high and wide, um, something that is abundant and grand. And when megas refers to the intensity of things or emotions, it means violent, mighty, and strong. So if we look at the Magi's expression of joy with this full definition of that word, their outward reaction to finding Jesus was loud and intense. It was abundant and mighty and massive and weighty, high and strong. Their outward rejoicing was evidence of the mega celebration within their hearts that they were simply unable to contain. If you think about it, Matthew wasn't there when this happened and Jesus was just a toddler, which makes me wonder if Mary his mother is the one who described this scene to Matthew later in life. This kind of gives me goosebumps, actually. Um, I would have loved to hear her describe this unexpected, overwhelming moment. It also makes me hope that I and you, as we approach this Christmas, Christmas 2020, that we'll ponder what this kind of rejoicing looked like and what it would look like for us to rejoice exceedingly with real megas joy. As we ponder and prepare to celebrate Christmas in this way, I am also looking forward to being with you next week because we are going to be talking about Hanukkah, the festival of lights, which starts uh, next Thursday night. And we'll see how the celebration of lights actually points us to the light of the world made flesh. In the meantime, for today, I wish you a restful, joyful holiday. day.